Welcome to episode 62 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts, coming to you from, well, Los Angeles and Glendale. And today, it's so hot, you could actually fry an egg on the street. Is it that hot? What's the temperature? I don't know, but it feels real hot. <laughs> I guess from uh, someone like who's from uh, England, like yourself, it's got to feel particularly hot, right? I mean, you're not used <laughs> to this kind of weather. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, it makes you feel uh, kind of tired as well. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of uh, of doing a podcast while you're feeling tired, I'm wondering if we should cease doing shows at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, Taylor Norris, also known as the depressed designer on our podcast, he he, I talked to him the other day, and he said, "Yeah, Jason, you sound like you're uh, you've been sounding like you're off your game." I was like, "Really?" I was like, well, that may be because we were doing these early warning podcasts. Well, I wonder how long, how long it's been sounding like that. I don't know. I don't know. But I definitely noticed, you know, that it is hard to get, for me to get in gear at 9 o'clock in the morning. Well, I mean, one thing, one thing that I've been doing, obviously since I've been exercising, right, I've been getting up at, I don't know, 7, mm-hmm. well, most mornings, half 7. So by the time it comes around to 9, it's usually okay. But in this heat... I just it it changes the rules basically well, <laughs> when you've got this level of heat and we've got no AC, you know. So. Oh, well, see, not having AC is a huge deal. I mean, I have our AC, our, our central AC broke, and I, I, as I mentioned before, I yeah, bought like a portable AC, so I feel fine. But I, during the summer months, the last couple of years, um, I really was not nearly as productive because our AC was so weak that it it had a hard time cooling off my office. And I would notice this during the summer and especially like, say, after around 11 a.m., I mean, it was just I was like at 30 percent productivity. Right. I just couldn't do it. And uh, it was just it was just a bad time of the year for me. But now with an air conditioning unit blowing on me all day, I'm I'm, you know, 100 (laughs) percent. So I would highly recommend getting at least three hundred dollar portable ACs. I don't know. It doesn't seem worth it just for like that. There hasn't been, you know, I've, I've been told that this doesn't last for longer than a month. So. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends. We've been lucky this summer. I mean, it hasn't been as bad as it has been in the past. It's been relatively cool, I think. But August and part of September can be kind of rough. So, yeah, okay. it just all depends on uh, how you want to spend your money, I guess. But um, for me, I've just was in misery the last couple of years, and I'm just like, I, I almost would pay any amount of money not to. You learned so, your lesson. But anyway, back to the whole morning thing. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I wonder, we have, to, we have to consider that. I know it's easy, it's the best time for us in terms of, of uh, sort of coordinating, scheduling it, because there's really nothing else colliding with it. But uh, I don't know. I've just noticed that I'm... Uh, well, what do you have in mind? I don't know. Middle of the day, like we're doing now. I feel a little, I feel a little uh, more energized. I, I think in the mornings... I, I, I'm really, I notice too, I'm most productive coding in the morning, but I'm not real talkative, which I know is not is saying a lot for me because not talkative still means that I'm probably more talkative than most people, but I'm still sort of in a, I, I just don't have a lot to say mode. Well, the amusing thing is, is we've just gone through 61 episodes of doing it nine o'clock in the morning. So this is a funny time to bring it no, up. We, no, we haven't done that many, right? I mean, we did it all kind of different times. It's only guess. lately that we made it consistent, I think. I guess. It's for, within the last two months, it's been kind of consistent in that way. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of Taylor, uh, of Taylor um, and oh, and I had a talk with Taylor the other day. I told him he needs to get 
he needs to get his blog going because you know I've been talking about getting my blog going, oh, which yeah. I still have not done. Uh oh, oh god! <laughs> You're going to talk to talk about the blog. The HTML yeah, we could talk about we could talk about blogging in general, but I have a few things I want to say about it. So I was telling him, I said, you know, Taylor, we both got to get our gear, get a, get ourselves in gear. You know, you have to make yourself visible. You got to become part of the conversation if you're launching startups, if you're launching, you know, web apps or trying to do anything. You know, you just, you can't just have, write a post once every two months and have like five subscribers. And what did he say? <laughs> he agreed. <laughs> I agreed. Yeah, but I bet he's just like, yeah, yeah, I know you got it, but you know what? I got some life to be living. I don't want to be doing all that <laughs> blog posting rubbish. No, I, I think he. I, well, it's like it's it's one. Look, it's one thing to agree. It's another thing to actually do something about it. And I, I'm agreeing with my own statements, but thus far I've not complied. It's a question of do what I say, don't do what I do. Well, I, actually, I, the quote of the week, which I got from uh, Guyon, um, is take my advice because I'm not using it. <laughs> Okay. Okay. That, yeah. That's the quote of the week. I mean, yeah, I, it's a it's really important I, to make yourself visible and to let the world know what you're working on and what you're doing. Because if you're working on really cool stuff and nobody knows, then you're not, it's just hard to get anything, make anything happen. As we discussed, a key component of increasing your luck surface area is telling people what you're doing. Right. Yeah. So we we, were, we talked a lot about that. Another thing I talked about with Taylor was, uh, you know, I was just asking him. You know, I was sort of pleading with him to create um, a sort of web newspaper that I've been wanting. Remember, I've mentioned a number of times how I, when we were on vacation a number of years ago in the Caymans, when you're in the hotel, you didn't get, say, like the Wall Street Journal or, or New York Times. What you got was like a four or five page faxed copy of, of, the, of the top stories. And that was it. That's all you had. But it was great because you could kind of read the whole paper in like an hour or something and you felt kind of good about it. And I always kind of wished I had something like that. And the best that I could do is I would find a bunch of stories in Hacker News or Coder Diet IO, and I would kind of leave them in, in open tabs on my on my various browsers. And then in the evening, um, right before I would uh, sort of retire to the bedroom, I would use print friendly and, and, and go to each tab, open up print friendly, go through, delete all the images and print each one out one by one. And that took me like anywhere from 15 to 25 minutes, I'd say. Right. Completely annoying. Waste of time. The way that you do things is so bass backwards. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I, it's like, I hate reading stuff on the screen. It blows me out. And it's been proven too, that you read like two or four times slower on the screen than you do when you read on paper. I mean, maybe that's not as true now with like these high resolution e-ink readers. But for me, I like to read paper, and I'd, I and in the evening, you know, once I step away from the computer, I'm done. Like I don't want to look at a computer screen anymore. Okay. I want to just get out of it. So anyway, back to the main point. So is I was, he going to make it? Well, he was kind of like he understood why I wanted it, and he was like, "Well, I don't know. Maybe we could do that." But I was clearly asking him to do something with print friendly that wasn't what print family was built to do right and he mentioned to me instapaper which i had seen a long time ago and it didn't quite do what i wanted but i took another look at it and it does exactly what i'm asking you go through and you had a little bookmarklet and you just say read later on any story or post that i find right and at the end of the day i can just go to print friendly and just say print as you know like newspaper format three column right and it'll print and it'll put you know, like all, you know, 10 or 12, you know, articles 
you know, back to back to back, so it doesn't waste any paper, and it's three column, like newspaper format, and really small print, so you can print. So in like three or four pages, it's like you know, two hours of reading or something. Done. Cool. It just saved. It saved me like twenty minutes every night. So that, is that instapaper.com? Instapaper.com. Awesome. Okay. You heard it here. You heard well, it on texting. I'm just saying because I had been asking for this forever. And in fact, one or two of our listeners had actually said at different times as a, as a comment when I had ma- made that request that they check out Instapaper. But because I had checked out before and didn't do that, I just assumed that it still didn't. But I was clearly wrong. So, but that said, you know, print friendly is still great for what print friendly does, which is printing out a single article and, and, and removing a bunch of images or whatever. So. So we had a couple of people um, talk about texting on their blogs uh, during the, the past week. Um, yeah, I got called out on the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> so the first, the first one I'll, I'll say is from, is from Gelform, and that's Corey Mass. And um, he says, texting podcast is, is his top. Uh, he's got three favorite podcasts, and he lists texting as his top. And he says, congrats, Jason and Justin, you made number one. Basically because he's in a similar situation to us, and he's just trying to build a business. And, you know, a lot of the stuff we talk about, it relates to him. And then we got the other, the other call out from John McDowell. With a oh, that was really nice, by the way. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thanks a lot. Thank, thank you very much. So that's Corey Mass and, and um, check out gelform.com. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay. So then the other call out we got was from John McDowell. And uh, with the title of Why Texting's Jason Roberts Will Learn the Hard Way. <laughs> Are you sure you didn't read that? It's just not your like pen name. <laughs> no, you could I, write. You could. You could keep an entire blog on like why Jason will learn the hard way. I literally could have written this post. It's hilarious. But um, anyway, so I mean, the the good thing is, is even, even though he's essentially slamming your your viewpoints on um, source control, he it says that he really likes the show. It, he just finds me kind of irritating because I don't pronounce things correctly. Yeah. Well, I mean, look. By definition of you being English, you're gonna pronounce everything more or less incorrectly because you speak sort of English 1.0 right. and us Americans, we speak English 2.0. We're like the new improved version. Right? I see. Right. <laughs> so you like old school, you like speak like middle English or something. It's like the Canterbury tales. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can even understand what you're talking about. It's like, what is it's that? Tr- it is, it is true. It's like when, when my, my wife actually laughs at me because when we go to a restaurant, I say, I, I like to, I don't like to drink tap water. I like to drink bottled water. Right. So in the U.S., when I'm in a restaurant, I say, can I have some bottled water? Everyone goes, what? What do you want? And I'm like, bottled water? What do you want? And then I go, bottled water. And then they're like, oh, okay. Bottled water. <laughs> I go, bottled water. And they totally understand me when I say That's it like that. That's good. I like that. That's a good imitation. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, um, uh, yeah it's true. It's like, I guess, compared, you know, for, from an American point of view, I definitely don't, don't make a lot of sense. But, I, but the, the thing that he's, he's kind of, telling me off about that i'm getting i'm being chastised for is for saying balsamic rather than balsamic right well to me that's like caribbean or caribbean right it's sort of i don't think there's a right way to say it. i think both are right but maybe i don't know i don't I mean, know it, it's talking about balsamic vinegar right so in the uk i think i think the reason he was saying that is just so he could have something to say you're annoying since he was going to attack me oh he okay so, so, so he didn't just want to say jason is annoying because he steadfastly refuses <laughs> to see the benefit be, yeah i think he was just trying to be diplomatic well okay. like they're both kind of annoying you know <laughs> Jason's annoying because look he's english you know right yeah yeah <laughs> and jason's annoying because he's wrong <laughs> uh, just just on that one thing i mean i just want to clarify one thing 
uh, I, it's not that I don't have a problem. I have a problem with source control, or I don't. In fact, I now use uh, Subversion for App Ignite. It's all I, all I, my point was on personal projects, not, not when you're working on a project with more than one person. When, you, when you're using, working on something with more than one person, you need source control, clearly. But when you're working with a personal project, it, you know, create, having a backup directory where you make a, an actual duplicate a copy of your current directory and just give it a date and you just have like and you can roll back to any date i mean it's it amounts to the same thing that's it, all I you're think. not going to convince anyone that that's I know, true but i just want to clarify me. That, that's, I just just, want to that's just you, what you think right so so you're just saying in that I'm one just saying, instance and, and i've never yeah. and if you make a backup of your hard drive i've never ever in five or ten or whatever many years of doing of actually doing it that way i've never had a problem i've never lost any code and uh, right now he's he's sort of saying it, well, one thing that john is saying which is really kind of it's i think a funny way of saying this like let's say you jump off the side of a building and halfway down you're like huh so far so good right <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so far so good yeah it's just a matter of time you know and it's right i mean it's like insurance so it's a question is really what the question comes down to like a lot of things like this is like what's the probability of something happening so it's like you know Health insurance would be something which he, he uses an analogy. It's like, look, you know, you're, you don't need health insurance until, of course, you get in a car wreck or you get a disease or something, and then you're screwed if you don't have it, right? Um, another thing is like, well, what are you insuring against? Now, health insurance is something that it can be devastating if you lose it, and there's a good chance that at some point you're going to need it. And uh, well, it, it all, have, it's all perception at that point. Like, in the few, I just have to say, in the few times that, that sub- subversion and source control have helped me, it's been nothing to do with backup. I mean, mm-hmm. so, so the, the point that he's making here is it's about backup, right? But for me, no, no, not at all. It's like a month later when I, am, I, I went down one branch and then I decided to go down another route. And then I think to myself, oh, God, I worked out this problem a month ago, which I've scrapped. I want to go back through the log and find that code that I did a month ago. And that is what source control gives you. It gives you that option to backpedal and look through your logs and find old code that you've discarded, and you don't have to have any fear of discarding it. Whereas if, if you're just doing it with the folder, you have to kind of go, oh, uh, create a new file for this idea, create a new file for this idea. You don't, don't, you don't have to do any of that with source control. Yeah, you're, you're just, you're basically what you're saying is that when you do a, a, a commit, okay, it, it's sort of putting a text box there for you to, to put in a log, to log your comments on the commit, right? Whereas yeah. if I make a duplicate of a directory and give it a date, I essentially would have to create a text file and saying, okay, this is what was happened. It'd be just a little more manual. If I did. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you'd, you'd have to say, this is what happened. And um, the, the other thing is, you'd be a little bit more scared about making big changes to your whole code base, right? Why? If you're making a do, if, if every time before I make a change, let's say at least once a day, if not more times a day, especially if I'm going to get aggressive, I just say, make a copy of the directory. Because I have like sometimes three or four copies for a single date. What's the difference? Subversion is just making, uh, it's just saving the deltas as opposed to a complete Other than complete and utter insanity, there is no difference. There's no difference. (laughs) Just saying. I mean, I'm not, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not advising or recommending anything to anybody. I'm just saying I'm, I'm not as insane as it's, as I think it might sound if you just, you know, whatever. But you're like a crazy hermit living on in the hills saying, <laughs> basically saying, I don't expect anyone else to live my way. This is the way I live. <laughs> no, I, I just, well, here's the thing, right? I, I, I'm just looking at it, whatever, I'm trying to look at the very specifics of it as opposed to making a blanket statement, like something's really important or something's not really important. And, right. 
if you actually look at exactly what I'm doing and exactly what it does for me versus what you're doing and what it does for you, there's really no difference. Therefore, it's purely just sort of, um, uh, you know, just adhering to whatever the common way of doing things is. I think I might know why this makes people so upset, this issue. Hmm. Um, and and also the HTML and the whole kind of uh, not invented here syndrome. I, I, because basically, I think everyone starts off with the not invented here syndrome, and they basically like that. Okay, that, that's the generalization, but I'm going to stand by it anyway. I think that everyone starts that way, and they all start off cocky and think I'm going to do, it, I'm going to do, it, I'm going to do my own thing, and then everyone gets browbeaten at some stage by other developers who basically explain why that's kind of not really sensible. And you go through a certain level of shame when you're browbeaten by other developers. So you then go through that envelope, that kind of sound barrier, as it were. And from that point forwards, it's irritating if anyone does it the other way because you've already gone through the. Because you've the already initiation. given in. You've given in. Exactly. You've given in. You've gone through the initiation. So, but yeah. somebody else hasn't going to give in. And yeah. it's just like, oh, I gave in. Yeah. But see, that's the one thing, I've, as I mentioned for me, I don't ever give in. That's right. That's right. Ever. That's Ever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always going to do it my way. And, you know, and I can that, see on your tombstone, uh, like I can, you know, etched in letters, it's going to be, I made my own HTML blog. I just do it. You know, look, I, 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 I here's the thing, right? <laughs> people, a lot of people will, a lot of people just doesn't matter, right? They just take, they just pick away and they do it, you know? And in, 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 in it, I will do things, and when I look at what I want to do, I just figure out what's gonna t- what is it that I actually need from the situation. I'll look at first principles. I, if someone says, well, you've got to do X, well, I'll look at X and decide if that's more of a pain or not. And, you know, you're, you know, in the whole blog thing, you're like, well, you might want tags, and you might want comments, and you might want search. And I say, well, if I've decided a priori that I don't care about those things, then why do I need it? In which case, you have no response, right? You don't need it. In which case, it is no difference, Right. I guess you can switch over at any point because it's not expensive to switch over from from pure from your own pure HTML thing at to any point, WordPress. At any point, I could import it. At any point, especially at the rate I'm going, which means I have zero posts. Yeah. So it'd be it'd be incredibly easy to trans to make the transition from having zero posts to actually writing a post. In fact, it's cost you more time arguing about it than it would be to, well, to actually do it. Well, that's the point of why I was going to do it, right? So what happened is uh, this has done nothing but slow me down because I spent more time arguing about it and responding to comments about it <laughs> than actually writing a blog post. And the whole reason I was going to do it is that it would force me not to think about installing something, configuring it, and learning the CSS. If I just write a stupid HTML page and put a dumb you know, header on the top of it, then I'm done. At least I have something. It's kind of like you know, these um, – I think there was an article I read recently by a guy who has a um, blog. It's called Rands and Repos. Have you ever come across him? No. Okay. That's actually a pen name. I can't remember the guy's real name, but – He's like, he uses TextMate to write all his, uh, to do all his writing in. He's an author, um, and he's written a few books, and uh, he's a, you know, pretty well, well, a widely read uh, blogger. And he's like, he only uses TextMate because TextMate f- does not allow him to, to screw around with a bunch of styles, right? He's just right. done. And one of the things that writers get a you know, they fall into this trap of like, instead of writing, they spend all this time dorking around with styles and, you know, I'm going to make this bold, or I'm going to make this. 14 font point font. I mean, just write something. That's really 98% of what's important. And that's also all the hard work and all this other time worrying about all these other things are just irrelevant. And that's kind of what was my point too. I'd made about these other blogs. There's some of the most widely read that it would are, are, are blogs that have, don't have any of these bling on it. Right. 
So not only does it not, not is it probably irrelevant in terms of what you're trying to achieve, which is is to get your thoughts out and get them widely read and, and, and gain some kind of and create some kind of a platform for yourself, but also it doesn't allow you to spend time screw, screwing around with stuff because there's nothing to screw around with. That was the whole reason. I was just trying to optimize things for myself so that I didn't caught in the, get caught in the trap of spending time figuring out what I wanted to do as, instead of just doing it. Because while I can, I'm comfortable talking for five hours straight, it is like pulling teeth to get me to sit down, get myself to sit down and write anything. So I think this whole section that we've just discussed uh, falls under the title, Old Issues Worth Discussing. That's, that's our, right. That's our Old Issues Worth Discussing segment. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, here's, here's something that's kind of related. Okay. Here's my question. How much time should be spent making versus writing and talking? So as we've talked about, you know, in the whole increasing your luck surface area, which is that you've got to build something that people are going to care about that's, that's valuable in some way, and you have to, in some, in some form, make people aware of it. Right, you have to get out into the world either by blogging, you know, going to meetups, going to conferences. Somehow you have to get into the world, make connections with people, make people aware of what you're doing. Try to explain to people why what you're doing is valuable. Um, maybe that's you, know, you people you partner with, or you pull people into an open source project, or you're trying to get a co-founder for a company, or whatever. But you have to spend some. There's some trade-off between the the, the number of hours you spend. Coding. So if you spend 10 hours a day coding and zero hours writing or talking to other people, that's probably going to be a, that's not going to work out so well. Right? Do you think that can really be boiled down to a science, what you're talking about? I now? don't know. I'm just trying to think, I just think it's worth an interesting thing that you're thinking about, right? Like if you said, all right, well, how much time in your week or your, or your day should you, should you allocate toward, to, to, to actually sort of not coding, but just trying to do the, the let's call it marketing whatever you want to call it, brand building. Well, promote, okay, let's look, let's look at it from one end to the other. So if you think about Coke, for example, how much time do Coke spend building versus marketing? And then if you take that through to, I don't know, something like 37 signals, it's probably the other end of the scale, right? So the scale, the scale can be pretty big. Um, I can't, I mean, basically Coke spends 99.9% marketing. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. What, what are you trying to prove by that comparison? I don't know. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying that... Um, I don't think you can break it down to any kind of science. I mean, basically, it depends on the product and it depends on the project. So if the product is, take, for example, Plugio, right? The the product's built to a certain point and um, I don't really have any intentions to go into major reworks of it because I'm working full-time, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So so from this point forward, I'm going to be just doing marketing aspects versus building, right? But with you, for AppIgnite, it's a different scenario because AppIgnite isn't even in the marketplace so you have to spend a, a, a huge amount of time building, but you also have to you know, spend some time building your list. So it, in your particular case, it's going to be at least 10% to 20% on marketing, I would have thought. But okay, well, here, here's the thing. Okay, so you're right. Now, the, the problem is with me, if, if, I, if I spend all my time building and not writing and building a platform, and then when I'm done, and then I have like five people who know about it, right? Mm-hmm. Then you, that, that's a problem. You know, if there wasn't for the podcast, nobody would know about it. Mm-hmm. And I'd have a hard time, and then I'd have to, then I'd be starting from scratch. I mean, the ideal thing would be to start building up a blog or some kind of platform so that when you are ready to launch, you have an audience, you have, you have some users. Um, and so I, I almost wonder if, like, you could say, if you could come down with a number, like, you should try and spend, allocate 10% of your day, at least, 
or 20% of your day to marketing. I'm, I'm just wondering if that would be a helpful metric for people to keep in their head. Here's a way that you can look at that metric. I mean, once again, I, I, um, I'm, I'm not uh, an economic student, but I have heard figures being banded around for how much money you should spend on marketing. And it's something okay. like 30, 20 to 30%, I think. It's, I mean, probably someone on the show is going to listen and say that's completely wrong. But anyway, that's what I've heard. 20 to 30% of your revenue is what you should spend on marketing, right? Okay. So then can you, you, can you translate that to time? Sure. Well, I mean, let's, this, that's your resources, right? Let's say, it's, you know, it's not money, let's just resources, right? If you have just 20 or 30% of your time, if, you're, if you don't have any money, if it's just time, effectively, then yeah, you know, then if you spend that 10 hours a day working, it's two hours, let's say, of, uh, of, blo- of working on a blog or a podcast or, you know, time spent going to some meetup or conference or something, averaged out over months. And, you know, like you said about Plugio that, well, you're not doing anything, but if you don't, you know, you say, well, you just, you know, we'll blog about it. But if you don't continue to add to it, it will slowly die. Right. Well, yeah. So, so, so I am adding a little, I mean, I do, I do add a little bit, like for example, recently Twitter killed the search API. So I had to re, you know, rework all that stuff to make it work. Right. Um, I'm just looking at a blog post here about this uh, percentage spent on marketing. So go on, you keep, keep going with what you're saying, sorry. Well, I, I, just, I, I just think that, I mean, I'm going into the assumption that you're trying to build something. You're trying to, you're trying, I'm, not, uh, I'm not trying, I'm not factoring in like a cash cow where you just, you're just going to milk it and you're not going to, you're not going to put any resources into it and you're just going to take as much money out of it until it dies. I'm, I'm going into the assumption that whatever you're doing, you're trying to build into something bigger than it is, whether, whatever it is. Um, and how much of time should be spent towards the making of this thing versus the talking and writing about it and i'm thinking i'm thinking you're i think that point you brought up i think maybe 20 percent is not a good is not a bad okay i'm i'm anchor. so out this article that i'm looking at says that uh, different industries for example walmart spend 0.4 percent of their sales on advertising okay. um the car industry generally spend about 2.5 percent of their revenue on marketing the liquor industry spends 7.5 percent on marketing and packaged goods spends four percent to ten percent on marketing so wow, that is a lot less than I thought. <laughs> so I don't know, five percent. Let's let's say let's say that you you spent uh, twenty hours a week working on your product on the side. So five percent would be one hour a week, right? So if you wrote, if you're working part time on it, a few hours a day or whatever, that means one hour on the weekend, or maybe maybe a really quick writer, and you could write a blog post twice a week in a half hour each. Which I was thinking about, too, is like trying to get myself to write. Maybe what I should do is give myself a half hour. And it's almost like in college where you have like an essay, you know, write an essay or a couple of essays as a part of a test. And it was like you just had to go, right? I mean, right. You had like 45 minutes. Answer this question. So the, here's another stat in uh, matched marketing. They say that small businesses on average spend 11 percent on uh, marketing. So, yeah, this, it's, it's a pretty weird figure. I mean, I would have thought the 5% for something like you would not be big enough. Like an, yeah. hour, an hour out of 20 doesn't sound like it's going to get you what you need. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's more like, maybe it's 10%. Maybe for 20 hours, maybe you spend two of them, two hours a week, blogging, 18 hours building. Yeah. 
That sounds reasonable. I'd be interested to hear what people think about that. I mean, and, and it probably, like you said, it probably depends on the person. Some people can get a lot done quickly. They can write quickly. Some people, uh, you know, it depends on how much time you have available. I, I mean, it depends on a lot, but that's interesting. You I are think kind it, of assuming, though, that people are going to go to your blog. I mean, blog, blogs in their own right need marketing to get people to them, right? So you're well, kind of assuming that if, if you write a blog that it's going to get it, traffic, that's yeah, well, blogging is like case. another kind of making, I guess. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you're still, but you're using the whole. I'm thinking of the writing of the blog and submitting it to Hacker News, and I'm I'm, I'm trying to rolling into everything to related to that Tweet, right. tweeting and commenting on stuff, just generally making yourself part of the conversation and the dialogue. Well, I know? mean, I, for, I don't understand why you haven't, for example, been using Tweetminer for the last year, the same as me. Uh, well, Plugio it is now. And, and just uh, building up a following. I mean, I've got 6,000 people following me at this yeah, stage. Yeah, I'm not convinced that... I'm not convinced about Twitter's utility unless you already have a, um, a brand name doing something else. So if you're, if you're a big shot like, you know, Kevin Rose or Leo Laporte or somebody, you know, you already have a bunch of blog readers or you're somebody who speaks at conferences, then yeah, people... Then you post something on Twitter, then people... Might listen to it. I'm not convinced that for people who are relatively unknown, who have a bunch of followers, that this people or anybody's really even li- listening. I just well, think there's a lot of people talking and not a lot of people listening. I, I don't. I have to disagree because I mean, I, I met Sebastian through Twitter. Like, mm-hmm. okay. So basically, met him through Twitter, and you know, there's there has been quite a few very interesting interactions that I've had through. It's not like one one really key interaction happens every day. But certainly once a month, something important happens. Okay, I mean, so I'm not saying it's not valu- valuable. I've just been a little skeptical of it. I mean, you know, right. there's only so much time in the day, and I guess I just sort of made a decision somewhere along the line. I guess I didn't make a conscious decision. I just I wasn't motivated enough. It, n- it, never, it never seemed powerful enough. Um, or uh, I don't know what the, what the word is I want to use. I can't find, think of the word I want to use, but it, it just didn't seem exciting enough to me. Well, but it's there, you know, it's, but it's it's there the right now. I mean, Plugio will, will give you the tools to build a following, a, a very niche following, right? Yeah. So you just plug in some keywords. It's going to go and find people, and then you just follow them, and then hopefully they'll follow you back, and you just say something interesting. To say something interesting, you just plug in RSS feeds and like click a little button, and it'll post it out. Okay, well, here's a, two things I, I want to about. That. One, you can one have it is, for free. Yeah, okay. Because well, you're my buddy. Thanks, man. Thanks for the hookup. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the thing, you know, I, you know, it's like a lot of things where it's like I can I can understand intellectually why something might be good, but it, it still might be something I don't do just because I just don't feel like it for one reason or another. Or I even may feel like I, I want to do it, but I just for whatever reason I just don't get around to doing it. And it's like going to conferences and going to meetups. It's like. Sandy's always telling me, she's like, why don't you go to more of these things? Every time you go, you meet someone, you know, that you become a long-term, you know, it becomes a long-term friend of yours. And it's always, you know, why are you so hesitant to do that? And I was like, I don't know, yeah, waste of time, blah. But, you know, she's right. But I still am a lazy ass when it comes to getting my butt to go to a conference or a meetup. You know? Well, this takes, this takes literally about, you know, three to five minutes work a day to, to build up the twitter list okay, and the, th- a- the thing is it's so incredibly niche like you could literally target the people who are just exactly the right kind of people that you're looking for for example designers it'd be so easy to target them just just mm, type in right. keywords like photoshop you know css like just type in those hashtag terms and it, it goes out and finds those people and then you just friend them all right i'll give it a, i'll tell you what i'll give it a shot i'll spend some time at it 
You've convinced me. Because you know what? It's all about increasing your luck surface area, Justin. What exactly? Right? Exactly. Well, it's, I, it's, it's like, it's, you know, you have to, it's like, you set, it's like setting out a lot of traps, right? You're trying to trap interactions. You're trapping luck one way or another. And, you know, if you go to a conference, you go to a meetup, you Twitter, you're on your blog, you're on Hacker News, your podcast, whatever. It's like, there's all these different ways that you're sort of communicating with the world. And each one has its own way of, of sort of capturing opportunities for you. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if if I hadn't been tweeting for the last year, um, I would never have met Sebastian, and and uh, he's just built a fantastic AI that uh, on the, on the small boards I can only beat it fifty percent of the time. <laughs> right? <laughs> for no, small it's, <laughs> uh, no, it's a great case in point. I I, I, give, I give it to you. I, oh, and I, I'm, before we get into that, because I want to I want to hear some more about that. But one thing I'll, I'll mention is that so our guest this come this week is going to be Travis Kalanick who um is an angel investor and he built up a company called Red Swoosh and sold it to Akamai and he's a really interesting guy and he's a good friend of mine now and the way I met him and I've told the story once before is how back in 2005 I think it was I drove up to a TechCrunch party right yeah and I knew nobody there. And there was like 400 people there or something. And there was stand, you could barely even move. There were so many people throughout the house and the whole backyard and gigantic tent. And it was like one of these things. It was like, it's like if you had walked into a party at a, at a college or something you, had, you didn't go to. <laughs> it was just everybody knew everybody except you. Right. <laughs> that was my situation. And it sucked. I mean, at first I, I walk around I'm like, oh, this was a bad idea. I drove six hours to San Francisco or whatever and this is re- this was a really bad idea but in the end i end up not only in you know the story i've told before i met errington and and had a chance, a chance to talk with him and scoble and that was kind of a neat thing but what was really cool is i got as i met travis he and i were standing around the fire pit pit and he's like ah, so what are you working on you know we got this big conversation and ever since then we've been friends and then when i co-hosted the um the uh, first bar camp la about six months later, he drove down for that, and we hung out a lot. And so since then, we've been friends. So that is a case in point for getting out and, and going and, and, and going to places, even if it's uncomfortable, uh, because you you know stuff like that happens. Nice, right? Um, so yeah, uh, you're a good point. So um, so let's let's talk uh, Swarm. What's the latest? So that so yeah, it's going really well. Um, basically, we're very very close to releasing the next version of Swarm on um, the iStore, the iTunes. Okay. And um, Sebastian's been working very diligently. Wait, wait, you said Ice Storm? I like that. <laughs> Ice Storm, yeah, nice. Ice Storm. That's maybe we should call it for the iPad and the iPhone, the Ice Storm. Anyway, <laughs> the Eye of the Storm, the Ice Storm. Okay. But, um, yeah, and and he's he's been working at building the AI, and um, in some future show we'll we'll bring him back on. And he's been using the this Monte Carlo tree thing and using lots of different kind of weights to say. Should I, you know, should it attack? Should it be defensive? Should it do this? Should it do that? And he started running simulations against itself to to find out the best weights of all the different forms. A la uh, David Fogel and Blondie Twenty Four. Except, except he's not. You, the, the simulations playing against himself are not. Um, they're not evolving. They're new not evolving. Weight. It's it's just to test the weights, basically. I see. Okay. Right. So it's to find out we, to which which games end in the faster number of moves, kind of thing, and I see. get and get the most points. So we've also uh, changed the game so that um, there's multiple different board types. So we've got smaller boards with... Because you know the way that there's three different piece types? Now, right. now the very first board that you start on just has one different piece type. So it really simplifies the game. Right. So there's, there, I think there's now 12, 12 different games within 
swarm when you when you get each in. one progressively more complicated the next kind of building they kind of step yeah exactly yeah each one progressively more complicated exactly i think that's like i mentioned before too i think it's a really good idea i really like that idea so on on the the smaller boards now um i can i can barely beat this thing you know well if if i start i win like 70 percent of the time it wins 30 percent of the time but if I pass it for it to start, then it's pretty much reversed. Like I can only win thirty percent of the time. <laughs> That's great. The uh, <laughs> and, right, and it's it's kind of evil. Like it's 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 kind of irritating because the the thing about the game that's unique is that you can move your opponent's pieces. But I think, as I said this on the last show, um, because of your human cognitive bias, you don't really look down that avenue so much. Whereas it right. does every time, right? And right. it moves it moves your pieces in ways that you just th- wouldn't have thought of doing, and it's like, oh, dope. <laughs> I can't believe that sucker got me. Right. I kind of feel like I'm playing against Sebastian when I'm playing against the AI. It's like it's like <laughs> my brain, you know, humanity versus his. <laughs> you, you should have a little a little avatar of him just kind of snickering every time it takes one of your pieces. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> evil laughter, like an, like an evil genius laughter. I like that. That's cool. So, when are you rolling out the new version? Well, um, he he has a few more things to do just to make sure that there's no bugs hap- uh, bugs happening or crashes happening, and um, I've also put in a new skin in there and retweaked the interface to make it a little bit easier to use generally. Um, right. And I'm hoping to release it uh, within the next couple of days. He's supposed to be handing over the final version of Cerebro uh, tomorrow, which is like the coolest name ever. Yeah. I love Cerebro. That's the name of the AI yeah. for our listeners who didn't catch that in a previous show i love that name in fact i, I want that name see if he'll <laughs> give it to me and call yours just a swarm ai because I, I want cerebro from <laughs> for my ai library it's so cool um well, that's awesome man well so and with regarding to the to general sales of it um the, obviously the general sales have just slowed down to practically a halt. it's about one sale a day or two sales a day from the app store right now okay. um but i think plans in the future are going to be to try and release this and then market it do a whole bunch of blog posts we'll probably spend a couple of weeks blogging and marketing about it right um, do a big launch basically and then so hopefully that'll drive some more sales and then uh using appcelerator start to port it to other platforms or port it to the iphone port it to the desktop yeah that, that's the path that's cool yeah um so here's something that's kind of uh, interesting. Uh, it was a great blog post by, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, uh, Sachin. He's a guy who does, he's one of the, I think he's the, was the primary developer of Posturus. Okay. Gary Tan, and, and I don't know, Sachin, I don't know if it's his first or last name or whatever, but um, his, the title of his blog post was, um, Make a Great Product, Gain a User. Have, a great, have great support, earn a fan. Oh, yeah, I read that one, yeah. Yeah, and he talks about how he got a sort of this unsolicited call from, um, uh, was it uh, Amazon? And they were trying to figure out, I don't know, what, what Posturus needed or whatever, but really they were just trying to figure out pricing. They weren't really trying to solve his problems or help him out. And so he really wasn't that interested in helping them, giving them too much information because they weren't, they weren't really trying to help him. And whereas companies that have had really great support, he just loves promoting them. Okay, and, so, so sorry, sorry, sorry. So I, I, I missed and I don't think I understand. So Amazon called him up because they wanted to do something with Posturus or? I think, I, I, you know, I think what it was about is they were just trying to get a sense. You know, sometimes you have account reps. So, you know, so Amazon, did they want him to change Posturus for them or did they want to sell him something? 
No, they wanted to see about talking about server capacity or, you know, whatever. I mean, I think it was kind of, I think they were just trying to feel out Posturus in terms of what needs Posturus might have and how much they could probably, whether they could get them to up, upsell them or something. Oh, okay. So yeah. they, they weren't a customer at the time. and No, they are a customer. Posturus is a customer of Amazon's EC2 stuff. Okay, right. and 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 it was like a follow-up sales call to, to for an upsell. Okay, I, I get it now. I right think here. you know I, I I wasn't real clear on that. You know whether it was what exactly the reason was, but he, basically he was just saying that like he wasn't particularly interested in spending a whole lot of time helping this guy out because the guy wasn't there to ha- trying to help him, trying to help him solve problems. He was just trying to figure out how to you know get more money out of him. Okay, to price yeah, how to sell, yeah, how to price his product better to to make more money. Um, and he's like, fine, I don't think he had a problem with it, but he's just like, look, I, you know, whatever. <laughs> but there have been companies, and I can't remember if he mentioned one about that, when they go out of their way to help you out, then you just feel really like you want to return the favor somehow. You really yeah. want to try and spread the word and, and, and um, promote them. And that's, so it's like you, you create fans by doing that, by by providing really awesome customer support and according to him and i i I think he i think i agree with him i think when i've gotten good customer support with people and i and i kind of felt like i established some kind of a human connection with a company because there's someone there who i've gotten to know and who's really helped me out then i go around like oh you got to use these guys they're great well jason cohen always uh said that jason cohen from smart bear software said that um using you know his coders are the first line of support because they know the product and he gets them to talk to the customers as much as possible because of the exact reasons that you're describing. Well, what about you with your, with, you know, with say Plugio? I mean, have you what kind of support have you provided? And have oh, you seen- I mean, I, I, I do. I mean, exactly as as you described. That's what I try and do. Um, it 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 does have its downsides in that, um, like for example, making yourself accessible by Skype. Then you may be skyped too often. In fact, I I recently had to revert revert my policy on that. Right. Uh, just because I was getting, you know, too many clients uh, skyping me, and I, I thought that it may, might make more sense to get them to email me. It's just well, it's just it's interrupting you throughout your day. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Know? It's one thing to ha- to to get to the emails at the end of the day, or maybe once or t- a couple times in the day, you take a break and try and answer a bunch of queued up emails. It's another thing to have people interrupting you mid thought. Yeah. Exactly. That's really problematic. Yeah. That's why I don't even like. You know, uh, even when friends of mine, you know, are Skype me or hit me on Google Talk, I'm just like, ah, you know, I'm trying to work. You know, I just that's it's kind of frustrating. Right. So but I think that's a, I think it's a really good thing to think about. But, yeah, I mean, in, in answer to your question, um, I, I mean, I definitely do try and take that approach and try and build that build that relationship. And, um, you know, it's, it's been pretty useful and pretty helpful. Um, but obviously, I think. It's much harder when the product is only part of what you do. Like, so, you know, I've got a full-time job and I'm working on, I do texting and I do build the board game Swarm and Plugio is one little piece. And mm-hmm. um, if, if Plugio was all I did full-time, it would be a lot easier to take that approach. Right. That's right. You can provide, you know, you have more resources, the more you can do yeah. to support your product. That's, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I watched an, an interesting series of videos from the Founder Conference. Okay. And uh, one of it was, I guess, sort of the title of the blog post said, Founder Conference, um, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this guy's name, Adio Resi, Drew Houston, and Dave McClure give tips. 90% of you will fail. <laughs> nice. <laughs> which is funny because it reminded me of another thing, which is, you know, I've, I, as I've mentioned, I've, I have a background in uh, trading and, and building software for trading and things like that. And, um, 
that was a common thing you'd hear and you'd go like at a conference just like this instead of speaking to startup founders speaking to aspiring traders 90% of you will lose your entire capital trading capital base yeah so like, you'll completely blow out it's not that oh you won't make any money you, like you say oh I'm going to start trading at 50,000 or 100,000 or whatever it is you're going to start trading with you're going to lose it all and it was just it was the exact same number and it, it's like and I think it was like something like 5% or 7% will We'll do okay, right? We'll make a little bit of money, tread water kind of thing, and then the top two or three percent will clean up. We'll we'll be we'll do very very well. So what and, is the? I mean, why why do we care about that? Because it's the same thing. It's the same. Building a startup and trading are the same thing, and it's almost the same thing as like say, people who say they're going to lose a lot of weight. I'm going to lose fifty pounds, a hundred pounds. How many people actually who do that a year or two late, years later have lost anything? Probably, probably ninety percent of the people have made no real progress. So you know, it's the idea only- to encourage people by saying how, by basically reverse psychology encouragement. I don't. Uh, I'm, I'm just wondering why that is. I'm just wondering if this is like a standard kind of curve in human behavior when it comes to a combination of like of of, a, of ability, talent, uh, perseverance. These, it's, it's like these things. All these things kind of have to be there for you to say to become a successful trader or become a successful startup entrepreneur or you know whatever. I mean, I, I bet you could see these. You could probably see this sort of curve. I don't know if it's a power curve or whatever it is, but. You know, you know this—the power curve. It's like, you know, you get—it's like ninety percent of the people are just lurkers, and it's like seven percent are like commenters, and like two or three percent are actually create original material. Well, it's like, uh, you know, it's ten percent inspiration, ninety percent perspiration. <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with this other than the fact that it's the same number, ninety <laughs> percent. No, but it's true. It's true. It's like it's like you know, you, you've you've got to really stick with something to make it work. That's the reason why, right? Because you need to spend so long. Like the the people who who don't make it work are the people who just don't spend the same amount of effort trying to make you it work. You think that's it? I wonder if that's it. If that's it. I mean, that, I think that's a huge. Com- I think it's a big component. I think that's what we would call a necessary but not sufficient condition. You have to have the persistence. You have to have the commitment. You know, you, you, if you don't, the chance that you're going to have success in anything is very very small unless you just happen to be one of those super lucky people. You just happen to show up. You know, because, there, 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 are, there are always stories of people in Hollywood show up to Hollywood and two weeks later they land a role in a major film. <laughs> okay, so, but because you, no. you, you said like 80% of brokers are going to lose all their money, right? Not brokers. No. Not a broker. A trader. Somebody trader, who's okay. actually buying and, selling, okay. so, buying and selling their own account, their own money. So what about the other 20%? I bet you any money that most of those also lost all of their money, but they managed to get some more money from somewhere else and then they made it work. No, okay, well, I... Do you know what I'm saying? The the studies they're citing, it's like 90%, not 80%, 90% are going to lose their money, are going to fail. Right. Right? It's not, not only not, not are they going to fail. I mean, fail in the same way an entrepreneur would fail in the sense that not only did they, did their company not become successful, but they lost whatever capital and hours that they put into it. They don't get that back. It's gone. So they lost everything they put into it. So they're starting from scratch. Right. You know, all, all, the, all you can do is come out of it and say, well, I learned some things, it was a good life experience, you know, whatever, which are more or less just rationalizations. In a sense, you just fail. You know, you just sometimes it's best just to, I mean, it's nice to put a good spin on it for your own psychology. And it is true that you try and look on the bright side, well, I learned stuff, have some good memories, you know, made some contacts, whatever. But in the end, you failed. And 
the reality is most people fail. And I'm just wondering why those things have such a close relationship because I think they are somewhat similar. I think the reason why people fail is because it's hard. Like everything is hard, you know? There's not, nothing is easy. That's the thing. Like if, if you want to do something other than just sit there and watch television. <laughs> or, or just show up and just punch the clock at sort of a regular job. Yeah. Right? Like here, here are the set of things that you have to do with this job. Just show up and just do them and don't completely suck at it. It's hard to, it's hard to rise above the, the, the norm. Well, I, think the, I think the thing that both, both trading and entrepreneurship have in common is that it's you against the world, right? Everybody's playing in like an open um, market in a sense, right? And, and it's sort of like when you, start, when you start your own company, you're competing for attention and money against everything else out there in the world. But isn't it the same with music? It's the same with sports. I mean, basically, it's only, you know, only 10% of musicians in the world are probably making money and only 10% of people doing sports. Well, I mean, you're you're saying like, let's say 10% of the people who actually are trying to be aspiring, truly trying to be professional musicians, right? Not just like, I have a band, but like you're making a full go at being a pro. And maybe only of the, if you know, 90% probably completely fail. Like I said, seven or eight percent can make a small get by, you know, tread water. You know, they were there's you know whatever studio musician or they they play small gigs or their cover oh, band. Oh no 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 no! I'm I'm saying that like two two like of musicians, only two percent actually. It's it's the same as with startups, right? As with musicians, only two percent of them actually make it. Even one percent, right? Then the other nine percent are like working musicians who do. That's what gig, I mean. Oh, do right. gigs in the pub, and then the other ninety percent nothing completely fail yeah nothing and sports are probably the same way you know i mean it's just it's it's, whenever you're going against the rest of the world those are your odds right it was kind of interesting so what's the point i mean why 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 are we talking about it i don't know it's just interesting (laughs) i don't know i find it interesting i just saw that analogy well i had had a conversation yesterday with um a friend of ours she has her son's like he's gonna be a junior in high school and he's like valedictorian straight a's um really smart kid so he has that in the bag and he's he's kind of he's talented kid he's really good at music and he's really interested in computer science and stuff like that but um you know, I was we were talk, I was talking to her yesterday about what what he wants to do, and you know what kind of school he wants to go to, and and everything. And she said, "Well, you know, I, you know what, what, about the whole thing about it." Is I said, "You know, if he wants to go with some place like Stanford or something like that, the problem is is that you're, you're all the people who are pl- applying are a good portion of the people who are applying are going to be in the same you know situation, right? They're going to have top grades and top test scores." People who don't have top grades and top test scores pretty much don't apply to schools like Stanford or MIT or Harvard or whatever, right? Right. But what you have to do is you kind of have to make yourself a hustle in some way. Like you have this, you have people sitting on this admissions committee looking at these transcripts, right? And they're and they're putting into one pile people who just clearly don't cut 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 it in terms of grades or test scores. So they clearly either don't have the IQ or they just don't tend to get stuff done. They don't get the grades. They can't, they, they're not, they don't organized and they're not committed to making, th- getting through school and getting good grades that they're, they're just not, you know, going to make it at right. that level. So those people just kind of get put in one pile for the most part, unless there's something very special about them. And then the, of the people who do cut it, they're like, okay. Now they're like, oh, impress me. Tell why are you, why are you awesome? You know, oh, I was captain of the track team and I was class president and I was editor of the newspaper. Those are all, you know, impressive things. But it was like people who go out and really do very special things that you're, that you're like, how did that person even do that? And I think Derek Sivers had written an article about that a while back. Right. 
and it kind of reminded me of um, a, a, a guy named Ian Rogers who co-hosted the, uh, the first bar camp with uh, with me and uh, a guy named uh, Kareem Mayan. Yeah, and he his daughter was 13 at the time, and she had her own radio show. At a little radio, she had her own radio show, and it was awesome. The music was incredible. And, and what's happened to her now? Well, she's at MIT. <laughs> <laughs> That's where she is. But she was this really cool girl. She is funny because the very first time we were we were sort of planning the idea of hosting Bar Camp, Kareem and Ian and I went and grabbed dinner at this Ethiopian restaurant uh, over a Fairfax, uh, for Fairfax in are LA. You doing, are you doing something to your mic right now? I'm sorry. I, I miss some. I won't touch anymore. And so we went to eat at this Ethiopian restaurant and he brought his daughter, who at the time, like I said, was 13, and her name is Zoe. And she was this very, you know, I was a very precocious girl. And I just, I couldn't tell you how impressed I was when I went to her radio show and listened to it on the web. And I was like, that was the coolest thing. I was, and, and, and she not only did she was it something she did regularly and it wasn't like some teeny bopper music it was really interesting music but she actually played at some like hosted or DJed at like some big events like they had some big giant concert uh, at the Santa Monica Pier and she That's was cool. there doing the music and it just kind of reminds me of the same reason that we're talking about like you know success isn't just about like doing um, just being good at stuff and working hard. It's like doing something that's kind of awesome. Yeah. You know? Now, is there wind blowing into your mic? I don't know. You know, it, it'd be way better for you to just tell me that, interrupt me, than it would be to ping me because you're just throwing me off. Okay. Please is... don't do that anymore. Don't, <laughs> don't, please just don't Skype me. Please. Don't Skype you. Don't Skype me, please. Because I'm no. not going to click on any, I'm not going to click on any of your links. Now, what have you just done now? I didn't do anything. There's some. Uh, did you change the position of the mic? Did you? Is is your nose Maybe. breathing into it? Is it bad now? No, no, it sounds okay. okay. Well, let's just. Anyway, yeah, don't Skype me. It just throws me off. It makes me all like I don't know. I it was like kicking me under the table. <laughs> just just interrupt me and we'll cut it out. I'll leave it in. But okay, ah, it. Right. So. Anyway, I, I think of Zoe as a perfect example, and I'm sure there are lots of examples of kids that go out there and do really cool stuff that an admissions committee, for, as a for instance, will look at them and go, wow, this person is really amazing. They're doing something that you wouldn't expect a kid to be doing, like publishing a novel or, you know, I don't know, who knows what it is. But going out and not just, not just joining a club or a team and being like the captain or the president, because as, as Derek Sivers explained in the post he wrote, and I can't remember the title of it, but he was like, you know, you can... The thing is that why that's not as impressive is that while you know it's hard to do and they must have been good at what they did, you can understand the path. Like your brain can explain it. But when someone says, you know, a 13-year-old girl has her own radio show, you're like, I don't even know. How does that even happen? How, how does that even come to be? It's very That's cool. why it's so impressive. And so I was telling uh, my advice to her. I said, look, you can't really – obviously your, your son is going to do what he's going to do. But what you want to do is when you see him – engaging in something whether it's music or, or whatever try and encourage him to keep doing it like just keep building on it if he's if he's really good at making up songs and music record it put it on youtube and then just keep going with it don't just you know take classes and hang out because and it's not just about getting into a good college i mean that's all you know an, can be an important thing and it's just one more thing that increases your probability of some kind of success but in life in general it's just about trying to it's just like find a project and just keep pushing on it. So 
I was, you know, I mentioned before how I was uh, experimenting with this sort of grid, this uh, for this Ajax grid for looking at data points um, for my um, quantifier, the sort of AI in a browser. <laughs> it's a data mining or using machine learning to on gigantic data sets. So I, I'd figured out how to paste in multiple megabytes. Um, of uh, text, tabular text, and have the um, the JavaScript be able to parse it and pre-process it and everything. Um, now, the next thing I was looking at was, okay, so let's say that you have a data set and you have like 100,000 or a million data points. Okay? Now, that's, that's not a, a huge deal for standard data mining, but that's a huge deal for showing in a table. <laughs> like a, a table. Can you imagine a table with 100,000 rows or millions? It doesn't work. Now, Chrome is pretty good about, you know, having like say a table within a div, and the div has overflow auto, so it looks like a kind of a grid, a scrolling grid. And you could probably put ten thousand rows. You can put ten thousand rows, uh, a ten thousand row table within that div, and it'll load in about I don't know a couple seconds. Whereas Firefox completely dies; it just freezes up and doesn't come back um and so but so if you want to get a hundred thousand even chrome is not going to do that very well so you you need to kind of page the table dynamically then yeah so right so what what yeah what i was thinking about doing but is in what i was experimenting with is having sort of like you know they do like double buffering in graphics so you'll have something off screen and on screen and you'll draw off screen and then you'll show that on screen. And I'm not a graphics expert, but you know, that's the basic principle. And so what I was thinking is, okay, so what I'll do is I'll create two tables, each with say, you know, 50 or a hundred rows or something like that. And one will be on top of the other. And then if you're scrolling down, you know, the, the one that was below it off screen was populated with data. And then as it scrolls into view, then you're showing that. And when the other one scrolls off it, then you can take that off screen, populate it, and then put it below the, the other table, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And it works like a charm, right? It was pretty neat. So it's like you could have a million data points and, and the browser acts, you know, it's like it's the, you know, the table has 100 rows, super fast. There's no sluggishness. Not that- I like that. That's, that's very nice. That's um, a lot like um, the way that, you know these the map the web-based mapping software works they'll do that double buffering technique yeah and i you know there might be more of a generic term for it than that i, I don't know what it is i um so i was i was playing around with it and the other thing i was thinking is like i was trying to decide whether i want to have three buffers or or two because if you're if you're on one you could be say you could have one table that's showing you know ha, you know half of it and then the other table below it is showing the top half of the other table that are some portion of the other table well what if you start scrolling in the other direction? I'm just trying to think. Maybe I want a third that I populate that, but it might be it might be slightly more memory but less logic because you might have to do more like switching. Like, okay, am I scrolling down or am I scrolling up? Or am I off screen or am I off screen on screen? So should I be populated or not? I'm I'm going to try and do it with two, and that might I'm, I'm trying to think that two might be the right number, but I'm going to finish that off in the next couple of days. But yeah, because if you do, I mean, I, I suppose the one issue is is that. Uh you don't want memory leaks and you don't want to, to create too much uh, storage on the stack. Um, so as, you, as you're rolling up, I mean, the ideal thing would be only if you kind of had in memory what you needed at any yeah, one time. The minimal part, for both right. directions. Yeah, in minimal. I, I just, it's just like a logic problem. I have to sit down for like, you know, I probably figured it out in like three or four minutes. I just have to sit down and think about it. But it's probably two. I'm, I'm trying with two, but I just want to make sure it's scrolling up and scrolling down. The populating it off screen 
is um, is working in all cases. But I thought that was kind of neat. So, I mean, I, I, that's what no, I was nice. working on in terms of the, the Quantfire library or the Quantfire platform. I bet you two will be fine. The issue is going to be keeping like you will need to keep the data for one screen up so it's more it's more a question of what data you have in memory rather than how many tables you use well because you, you have the data the data is in like some javascript like matrix right like i can have a matrix that has like a million rows or something right and it's like a two-dimensional rate matrix right with a million rows but you populate the hidden ta- buff, uh, table that your second buffer with some section of that. So maybe that's like a hundred row table and you can populate that almost instantaneously. So you'd have the whole million rows in memory. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a problem. I haven't, I haven't gone at that. I haven't scaled it that high, but you know, I think at 50,000 or 80,000, I mean, you know, it's in, 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 you know, let's say they had like 10, um, columns of a hundred thousand rows and each column was like a double. I mean, it's not in the big scheme of things. It's not that much memory. It's not much, much. Cause I was thinking that even, even having the million the million rows in the memory would be like a, a real big problem and, and processing them and all that kind of stuff. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, I, I need to um, I need to experiment with it, but um, you're going to want you're going to need it in memory. You're probably going to want it in memory if you're doing sort of like data mining with, say, evolving neural nets or something along that of those lines, because you're going to be going over the same data sets over and over and over again. I mean, right. a million, you know, is a lot of data. I mean, maybe, you know, you're not going to be using that much at one time. Maybe it's 100,000 data points. But regardless, you're going to want it in memory. You're not going to want to be going back and forth to the server every, you know, uh, uh, you know, repeatedly. You're going to want to just download a data once and just completely, uh, repeatedly iterate over the data. Now, the, the table, to the grid for looking at the data is only important insofar as you want to analyze and, and eyeball the data and just get a sense of this, this data look right to me. Right, right. Because you could you could load it and pre-process and everything, but there's some you're going to want to look at. Just okay, let me just kind of like get an eyeball at this data and let me kind of scroll through it a little bit and go, okay, this looks this looks sort of right, you know. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was kind of that was fun. You know, it's like it's it's kind of a distraction because I was like, you know, part of me is like I shouldn't be working on this. <laughs> you should be writing blog posts. Yeah, I should be writing a blog post. I should be doing consulting work. I should be working on Affig Night. But you know, I I, I fell into that trap of like, you know, there's just kind of this problem you just have to solve. It's just in your brain. You got to solve it. And so I, I know that feeling. Yeah. And it's uh, sometimes sometimes I'm good at turning my brain off and not allowing myself to think about anything, but this this whole quantifier thing was probably a mistake in the sense that I probably shouldn't spend any time on it at all. I should just work on App Ignite. But I have allowed myself uh, you know, a few hours here and there over the past few weeks to mess around with it. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? I'm not perfect. <laughs> I'm, so weak. You- I'm weak. I'm <laughs> weak. I can't resist to the shiny new problem. Well, you know, you've got to keep you've got to keep the right problem on the top of your mind. Yeah. Well, I felt good because I've been really pushing hard this last four or five days on Epic Night. And okay, tell us how Epic Night's coming on. Well, let's see. Um, there's no, I'm trying to think of anything specific I can say. I was really going through the plumbing of the last few days and refactoring a lot of code. And one thing that's kind of interesting about that is that when you're, when you're exploring this big problem that has a lot of things to it that you're not exactly sure how they're supposed to work yet, what you end up doing is you end up just create, you know, I guess incurring a lot of technical debt 
right? You can tell yeah. like, okay, this code is duplicated in nine different places, <laughs> but I didn't write a single function or single class because I'm not, I'm not sure I've gen- I know how to generalize it in the right way. I don't understand yeah. it well enough. You know, maybe nine, nine places, maybe four or five places, but you know, you're like, I know this is in five places. This is not the way I need to be doing this, but we can't take two or three hours and just refactor and generalize this stuff because we just don't know enough about the problem yet. So just put it in there, paste it in there, write a note to yourself like, this sucks, come back to me, please. <laughs> right? that's, that's actually why I hate uh, the, the idea of over-engineering stuff up front because uh, I've seen so many times when stuff's over-engineered up front and it's not really been useful and it's cost more time in thinking about it and over-engineering it than it would have been to do what you're doing, which is essentially some kind of emergent process and you can understand what needs to be dealt with as you build your code base. Get it there and leave a note to yourself. Write a note on your to-do list and your refactor list. Write a note in the code. Write some, write some, you know, it's really good to write some very explanatory comments about why this sucks and what probably needs to happen with it, which I do. I call it my my refactor notes. Like this needs to be merged. This needs to be cleaned up, but I'm not going to do it right now. And it works because it gets you to the next step. Then you have a better understanding the problem and then when things start to come together you're like okay now i have the confidence and now i understand how to generalize it in the right way well what do you think about uh leaving comments in code if you're working for a a client or a company and you want to leave a comment like this sucks and this needs to be refactored right but would you actually commit that to a client's code or how would you well how would you yeah i guess i i guess when your client's code you got to be a little more sort of political about it and be sort of very you know this probably needs to you know note this probably should be, you know, whatever i, I usually right. when it's my own code i write a lot of funny stuff i usually say this is guyon's fault right i've been on a kick lately whenever there's a problem like guyon man this code sucks it's, it's like hard work just trying to clean up all your code you know <laughs> of course it's my code usually that i'm talking yeah. about but uh, yeah. you know it's just uh, you know the, the thing is that when you write funny stuff in there it's easier to remember you know, yeah. it is because it, I can remember w- my mindset when I wrote it and why I thought it was funny. And, you know, we write this really boring comment. Sometimes it's hard to like, well, what was I thinking about? You know, but um, so I was doing a lot of that the last few days and really refactored and pulled out a lot of duplicated code and cleaned up a lot because what was happening is that. So as I've explained, I think, in a previous show that you have you have sort of your record types or your, or your models. Some people refer to them as models. Some people refer to them as record types. So let's say you had a project management application that you were building, okay? And you have mm-hmm. one record type would be a project and another record type would be a task, right? right. And let's say you might have one other thing called um, a tag and you'd have a tag record. And so every task has, um, has a many-to-many relationship with tags. So a tag, you know, multiple tasks can have the same tag, and multiple, you know, vice versa. So you have a you have your views. You have like a view would be like of an instance of a task. Like I'm going to look at this task. Show me the information for this task. But you can also look at a task list. Because show me a list of all the tasks in general, or the, show me the list of tasks for this project. Right. Mm-hmm. So those are two different views. The tasks that are, are, are a child of the project, that's what I call your project tasks list versus just your tasks list. That's a whole, it's a completely different view. I mean, they can't okay. look, by default, they'll look the same, but you may want to make them look differently. You might want to show different fields. You might have 
different sort orders. You might have different filters. You might have, you know, who knows, whatever. Uh, okay, before I fall asleep, tell me your generalized solution. So wh- what I was just saying is that there's not a generalized solution, but what I meant is that to, to get to is that each of those things are different views. And before I had those as the same, there was no way to get to treat them as separate views. It was the same view object. But in right. order to create a different view for sort of like different yeah, sort of perspectives of the same type of view for the same record yeah. you have to there's just more plumbing has to happen and it got really messy and so i've had to spend last this weekend cleaning it up and cursing guys so, so basically you you wanted to create the different views the different perspectives yeah and what you ended up doing was copying and pasting the code like four times and it was like really different it was really similar apart from little tweaks here and there to make it slightly different in each of these perspectives and then you realized oh my god that's just total duplication i need to create a single a single object combine all this code back together and just like put in a few switches to make it behave differently exactly exactly right and so but then when you do when you do all this refactoring you feel so good right it's like <laughs> it's like when you clean your office you're like oh this is awesome i love my office now you know you just have this you know feeling of freshness and cleanness and cleanliness well it's like with with swarm working with sebastian it's it's kind of slightly embarrassing how um how coupled the game logic and the display logic is. Right. right. <laughs> so, because what well, I mean, for example, one of the things that I did when I first wrote it was um, when you click on a piece, it highlights the board where you can move. Mm-hmm. And that's actually by highlighting the divs and it adds, it adds a, cl- a class to the div saying highlighted. And I literally use that as part of the game logic to say, okay, allow them to move to this square. If where they drop it, it drops on a, it drops on something that has the class of highlighted. Right. Right. Whereas what I should really have been doing is having a whole abstracted game logic and saying, look, if, if they move from A4 to A5, that's an acceptable move and then move the piece. Right. And um, Well, that was your yeah. version of just sloppiness to get something working. That you knew, like, yeah, you, basically. You, you knew that it would be embarrassing if we look at our code, but you're like, screw it. I just need to get this thing working. I'll come back. Well, I, n- I never expected, you know, an- another coder to ever look at it. And then working at it with, with Sebastian, and then, you know, he, he basically writes this completely abstracted logic board, making my code look like a, a load of rubbish. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but no, it's, it, it was fine. I mean, it's good. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's actually one of, the, one of our next tasks is to uh, sort of merge, because we've got two different, two different board logic systems now. We've got my my one, which is quite UI UI based, and then his, which is just totally back end. So we need to merge our libraries. Yeah, and that's going to be that'll be a little bit of a struggle, I guess. The merging's always takes it'll be a little painful. I think so. Yeah, just just because, and and that's essentially a lot. All the bugs come from the fact that his his kind of um, stuff, which just deals with arrays, the rules aren't exactly the same as my my version. So what it does is it passes the state of the board back to his stuff, and then his stuff understands all of the rules. Right. Um, but when when the rules conflict, so in other words, when mine thinks that you can't move it to a certain square and his thinks you can, then the whole thing crashes. Right, uh, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, you get that merging. Yeah. yeah, well, you know the thing about also about like writing sort of what you call like temporary code? Right, you yeah. know, is that it, it, it also, it serves two purposes. One, it's just temporary so that you can sort of get a perspective on things. Because um, if you go and you, you could be prematurely writing really generalized code that's just wrong because it doesn't even, it's not even going to work that way. But what happens is that you, you get the first win. They're like, okay, now I can, now the thing's kind of working. 
right? You, you just write it just enough to get it working. So that's a win, right? That's a big psychological boost. Plus, it gives you a new level of understanding. But then when you get to come back later and you actually get to refactor it, that's a huge psychological win. You're like, oh, this is awesome. I mean, you know how much fun it is sometimes? You know, you get that high when you go and you refactor code and you reduce, you know, the code size to like 30% or 20% of its original size. Yeah. I mean, it's just a great feeling. And, 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 then, and, then, the, and then you get this whole other level of understanding because you just compressed all of this complexity into like five lines of code or something. And it's not complicated at all anymore. Well, it's funny. In working for, for MyVibo, there's a number of issues that have been similar to Plugio. And um, I, I've never got to refactor on Plugio, so that's the, that's the hot mess version. Right. And then uh, because I've gone through that with Plugio, the work that I'm doing for MyVibo is kind of good, <laughs> right? Right. because that's the refactored good version. Right. So that's, a, that's an interesting scenario where you do it for yourself and then you, you do it better for your employer. Right. Yeah, that's, that's true. So um, I don't know, do you got any more topics? Um, we said we said we were go- weren't going to do such a long show this this week, right? Did we? Well, one thing I want to make sure I want to mention is like you know we didn't do our interview show this past week, so oh, yeah. and you know that was kind of a, a screw up. I mean, I should have confirmed with uh, Travis via email. We talked on the phone, and and I, I guess you know information wasn't clear, and so that's why things didn't happen this week. So apologize to our guests who are expecting to have an interview show in the middle of the week, which didn't happen. But going forward, um, you know, we're going to try and keep that going. Um, right. But, you know, it is August. A lot of people are on vacation. So probably, people probably assume that we were just being lazy and taking, taking time off, right? So uh, one thing, uh, I guess, that I did want to bring up was just, it was a weird story, uh, which is, um, it was on CBC News um, that parents are suspecting that Wi-Fi is making their kids sick. <laughs> okay. So basically, it's, it's a group of parents uh, from different schools who've noticed that Basically, during the week, their kids are getting sick, and then when they're home or on holidays, they're not sick. And the, it, it's like it's not necessarily that they're specifically saying that Wi-Fi is making their kids sick, but they're saying that it's the only thing in common that they've noticed. The only thing in common these, to, to all the schools? Like, yeah, that's right. It's it's the it's just the one thing. Like they, there is Wi-Fi being piped through the schools. Well, could there be a lot of home. other things like? You know, uh, I don't know the way the materials, the kind of paint on the walls, or the kind of cleaner in the carpet, or the I don't know. Maybe there's. I think that I think that they that absolutely it could be, but it, this is the pattern that they that they're suggesting. Okay. Basically, just quoting directly from the article, parents are getting together and realizing this is the pattern. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, that's the problem, and, and that's the other thing is too. As human beings, we like you know we see patterns sometimes where there aren't patterns. You know, that's what they say that. <laughs> They say, I'm not saying it's because of the Wi-Fi, because we don't know yet, but we've pretty much eliminated every other possible source. Huh. Uh, I think it's interesting. And, and so I've tried an experiment of um, basically turning my Wi-Fi off altogether and just plugging directly in. And um, I can't say that I feel... Yeah, well, what kind of, what's the scientific basis that, <laughs> that these sort of waves, these sort of, I don't know, Wi-Fi is, it's kind of like a radio wave, I guess, and I'm not wearing the spectrum right. it is, right? What, is it gigahertz somewhere in the gig? I think it's two, uh, 2.4 gigahertz, yeah. Or, yeah right, so these waves gigahertz. somehow affect what, your brain? I mean, how, how are the kids sick? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, oh, listen, I don't know. I'm just, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> Just, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, the thing is, our world is so complicated now. There's so many chemicals. There's so many um, things in our world now that, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell what 
can be affecting you, right? I mean, the, you know, what, what, are, what are all the kids eating for breakfast? Or what's, you know, is there something in the water? Is there too much fluoride? Not enough fluoride? Is there too much? Is something in the paint? Or is it, like I said, is there cleaner on the carpet that says some kind of chemical that has been, you know, maybe in, in conjunction with some other type of environmental uh, thing it's affecting kids? I mean, it's just so complicated. It's like hard to break everything down, figure out what source of stuff is. Do you drink uh, Diet Coke? I don't anymore. I used to, but um, I don't know. You know, there's a, I, I noticed that I was drinking. I was drink, I used to drink too much of it. I used to drink like four or five a day. Right. And I'd, ha- and I'd have like a couple at lunch, one maybe in the middle of the afternoon, and maybe have one for dinner. And, and then I, know I started to start getting stomach aches. And then I stopped doing it, and I felt good. I felt fine. And then I started. And then I said, "All right, I want to drink it again." And then I got stomach aches again. And I was like, "All right, <laughs> this might be the." It kind of feels a little bit like you know poison. <laughs> does the, well, there's the whole thing. There's the there's a whole sort of theory about that about aspartame, which is the sweet. Yeah. You know, yeah. and there's a lot. If you go on the web, there's a ton of people, and there's a, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that aspartame is um, poison to a lot of people. I mean, right. you know, probably to most people who don't drink too much of it are fine, but to a smaller percentage of people who drink a ton of it, and a lot of people drink a ton of diet drinks, and they put in diet sweeteners in their coffee or their tea or all these kinds of stuff and they do it all day every day and you can imagine that any kind of chemical taken that much might start to affect you in a weird way so i was re- i was reading an interesting thing that basically well, it, was, it was a book and um i forgot the title of it but what i think what what the guy was postulating was that because these things pretend to be sweet and they're not really sweet they kind of make your, they get your body into the mode of thinking, oh, I'm going to get some good sugar, some good sweetness. And it doesn't, and it doesn't get it, right? And then it just makes it really, really crave it. Oh, I really need more sugar. I really need that stuff because I was expecting it. And so therefore it makes you want more and more of it. Hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm sure the branch of, of science that sort of studies that, like how your brain reacts to these kinds of things. And right. I know I've read some stuff like that and I don't know. I stopped having, I stopped you know, consuming aspartame because I, I, I was almost going to do like a double blind test. I was going to, I was going to say this, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to do some with sweetener and some with non-sweetener. And we're going to create this whole thing and see, you know, what gives me, what makes me sick and what doesn't. But then I was just like, I so don't want to be sick anymore. I'm just not going to have diet drinks and <laughs> I'm just really not to have them. And that, and so I just never did. And I, but I was, I was getting stomach aches and I, for like a week or two and I was like, all right, you know, and then I stopped and I went back on it and it was, I was like, all right, that's good enough for me. I mean, it's not enough to prove anything to, I wouldn't say, oh, well, this is absolutely true, but I'm not going to have any more. So this is the programmer's health segment. I guess. Well, you know, I had for the programmer's health, what? there was an article that came out a couple weeks ago about how you don't have to lift, you do not have to lift heavy weights to build muscle. Interesting. Which is not enough. It's that, that's not actually news to anyone who lifts weights. Really, the only thing you have to do to build muscle is lift to failure, which is what they say in the article. You know, yeah. you know a lot of times in psychology, they'll do these psychology tests, you know, and it's like, oh, we've discovered that people who are mean don't have as many friends. You're like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we've well, discovered that people who are stressed out tend to die younger, at a younger age. Like things that are like common sense that anyone could say, yeah, that's totally common sense. Anyone could have told you that, but... Well, that falls in line. Like my my gym instructor basically gives me five pound weights, but I have to move them really, really slowly, and it it just really hurts. Five so, pound weights. Well, yeah. So the other guys around me are like, <laughs> "What you a ninety year old woman?" <laughs> 
<laughs> if you move them really slowly, they're difficult to lift. Oh, okay. Well, hey, man. Uh, I'm just kidding. That's fine. As long as you're, long as you're, uh, long as you're breaking a well, sweat. And well, no, hold on. It depends on the position, right? So I'm, I'm talking about like if you're um, lying flat down, face down, and then you 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 have to lift them behind your back. They're kind of like a butterfly lift. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really difficult. If you if you take sixty, if it's a sixty second movement, yeah, that might that might be painful. I guess. Well, it's like the thing is like if you like hold your arms straight out to your sides, um, yeah. kind of like the famous Da Vinci diagram, right? Yeah, and you're holding yeah. five pound weights. They, they get heavy real fast. That's that's what. Yeah. I'm saying. So the key is right is you go to failure, and a lot of times you'll see people at the gym, and they'll just be kind of work. They'll kind of be doing an exercise, and they'll just kind of stop. Like they you, they clearly did not go to failure. So right. it, it doesn't matter if you're if you do a set of, you know, five reps or you do a set of fifteen or twenty reps, but you got to the point where you're just like you can literally not move it anymore. Because when you go to failure, apparently your body produces some kind of enzyme or something that your body knows. I mean you you, you tear the muscle fibers when you go to failure, you use little micro tears in your muscle, and that's essentially what it's doing. The muscle's repairing itself and building up a little bit stronger than it was before that repair. Right. And I I guess um so that's really just going to failure causes that to happen. So that's just, uh, yeah, so you don't have to. Like, that's the hacker's health segment. But if you want to get really strong, you have to lift heavy weights. You can't, I've noticed that from personal, because I used to lift weights for, for uh, when I was running track in college. And so I was really trying to get as strong as possible. It wasn't about building up muscle. As we used to say, all show, no go. You know, guys around there just right. trying to build up, you know, their biceps to look good on the beach or whatever. You're like really trying to build yeah. up your your power and your and your thighs and your butt and your chest and arms because you want to. When I was a sprinter in college, so when you want to explode all those blocks, I mean, you want as much power as possible. And so you're trying to be right. able to squat and bench as much weight as possible. But you know, guys who are doing like sets of ten or twelve, it would take them forever to get stronger. But when you were doing, I would literally do sets of three and sets of five, and I got. You know, I was able to get strong much more quickly because of doing that. As an aside, but I'm sure there's like approximately zero listeners who are doing that. So that's the hackers' uh, health segment for this week. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's been an interesting show. Um, right. It's gone on some some interesting meandering tangents. I got one more for uh, you. Oh, one oh, more. Okay. Like one more idea I wanted to talk about. Go on. This is sort of like a a, a blog post in 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 the work. Something I'm thinking about. And it's something, it's like what I would call chasing ghosts in the market. And, you know, a lot of times you, you sort of see this, you know, these startups, you'll see, well, this company succeeded. And then we all look at it and, 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 and companies are trying to replicate what they did. And I don't mean just clone it, clone their product, but literally replicate kind of how they, how they became successful. But I start to wonder that how, how much of what people are doing you can replicate because the world changes and it's very similar to trading in trading in stocks and in commodities and stuff. So if you, you have a trading strategy, like I'm, you, you go back and you look and you're like, well, what made money over the last six months? Well, gee, every single time the Apple stock price or the Google stock price did, you know, these things, they they went up and then went down and went up this much or that much or with so much volume. Then if you would have bought then or sold then, you would have made a killing, right? But as soon as you start doing that, it stops working. Because everybody else is watching it, and they see the same thing. 
Yeah, because you basically, by putting money into the market or taking it out, you affect the market as a whole, which means that the strategy doesn't work right. anymore. Well, everybody, and everybody is, is looking at the market themselves. Everybody, everybody can see and analyze and find statistical um, significance or find in, into these patterns. So people can analyze and say, hey, these patterns made money. And, mm-hmm. and therefore, by, the, by virtue of the fact that all market participants or sitting with other market participants are looking at the same patterns and are trying to take advantage of them, it, it, it changes the structure of the market so they no longer work. It's called uh, the non-stationarity of the markets. And that's why it's, sometimes it's really hard to use like uh, artificial intelligence and data mining to, to come with trading strategies. And you know, some things that I call regime switching. And I think the same thing can be applied for to startups. You, know, it's just, you, you bring a lot of these startups and they get interviewed and they go, oh, well, I just did X and I did Y. And it's like, well, I don't know how much of that's going to work anymore. It's going to work less well because everyone is starting to use it, right? Like, like the balsamic. Right. Like, look at the balsamic model, right? Or bals- balsamic, <laughs> however you want to say it. Uh, balsamic. Balsamic. Um, what Pelody did about being, you know, radically transparent, right? Part of his success wasn't just that he created something cool, but the re- But on top of creating something that people thought was really useful and cool. It was the fact that he was being really transparent about his growth. So that was like this really interesting. It was a kind of the purple cow. And he was the first one. Right. But now. Because it didn't do anything for me. No. It's like you can't <laughs> replicate it in the same way because, yeah. you know, some people they argue and say, well, you know, Justin Pluggy was cool and all, but it's not balsamic markups. You know, that, that is. But I think the, I actually think that my transparency is a lot more interesting than balsamics. Uh, if you go to pluggio.com forward slash stats, mm-hmm. you'll see. My exact revenue, the exact uh, number of users that I have, etc. And what I think is interesting about mine is because it's it, it's so much less successful. And I think that it's. <laughs> that's I think that's kind of interesting because, to be honest, like it's like we're talking about the ninety percent, ten percent. Like ninety percent of people will see stats like mine and not like balsamic, and that's a good thing to have out there, you know. Right. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of reminds me too. Like people would say, like when you jump into a new market too, you could become successful. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to be big on this new platform. But everyone else has noticed that at some point, if you're one of the first developers to come into some new platform and build apps for it and stuff, you know, then you'd make a lot of killing. But now everyone moves into those new platforms. Everybody's on Android. Everybody's on the iPad. You know, because everybody jumped into the iPhone app and made a lot of money early, right? And it's just looking at the past, um, it's really hard to figure out what's going to work in the future because, and for that one reason. Not only are, is the context switch, but everyone else is trying to learn from that. And there's so many people trying to figure out ways to be successful based on examples of what worked in the past. And so I think what you kind of have to do as much as possible is go back to first principles as much as possible and not look at those companies, but only, you know, kind of what Paul Graham says about make something that people want. You know, beyond that, it's hard to say because things change so much so quickly. Well, it's well, if you listen to the central desktop episode that we did, mm-hmm. um, the, those guys basically said they didn't look at the competition. They didn't think about the competition. Mm-hmm. They just spoke to their clients and made their product better for, for their clients. Right. And that's all they did. And that's how they built a multi-million dollar business. Right. Well, they, they looked at something. They saw a problem that wasn't solved very well. Because remember, they were talking about collaborating with people at Microsoft, and they didn't have yeah. and, and they didn't have a good way of sharing stuff instead of aside from emailing, emailing around spreadsheets. And they even suggested, "Well, why don't we use SharePoint?" And the people at Microsoft laughed in their face, like, uh, "You think we actually have resources to use SharePoint?" <laughs> and they're like, "What? <laughs> you guys are Microsoft?" But right. yeah, it's that it's yeah. So anyway, the whole 
idea of not looking at the past so much. And I, that's one thing that makes me a little concerned sometimes about, you know, you're on Hacker News, and I wonder how much of Hacker News is is a hacker as a uh, is a um, what you want to call it cargo cult. Right, right. You know, like we're all looking at these things as successful, but everybody starts replicating the superficial things as opposed to um, the the really true nature of why those things were successful. I mean, it's not that people aren't aware of them, but it's it's easy to get fooled into re- replicating the superficial and not the and the incidental as opposed to the real core value. I think that's a good thought. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Uh, thanks. Thanks for saying it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's pretty much a show, right? I think we can wrap it up there. Yeah. Well, one thing before we go, I want to remind people. So don't forget to sign up to the uh, TechZing newsletter. So go to TechZingLive.com. And also, uh, anyone who's interested in AppIgnite, um, go to AppIgnite.com. And also, anybody can give us any help, any help by uh, writing, posting any tweets or blog posts about uh, the show. We'd uh, greatly appreciate it. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. We're out.